Welcome back to uh, uh, our, another conversation with Dr. Paul Harch. We are blessed to have him here for this series. And uh, in this segment, what I'd like for us to talk about, Dr. Harch, is, is thermal burns. And, it, and uh, there's a reason for that, I think, because it, 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 it's gonna, I think it's going to expose the general public to sort of one of the, the underlying issues with hyperbaric oxygen and why they didn't know about it and, and what really is the roadblock. And so, so I have a friend and uh, he's, he's uh, very involved with the Shriners. So he's been a, a big contributor um, and knows their board of trustees. And, and, uh, and he said to me, you know, um, looking at thermal burns, he said, you know, there are three children's hospitals that, that, that free for, you know, for children um, that, that are focused on thermal burns. I think the Shriners has 20 hospitals. And so I said, oh, perfect. Let's, who can we talk to? And so he said, okay, well, there's three hospitals and then there's one doctor and he's in charge of, of the whole program and he's in Galveston, Texas. So we got his name and, I, and I'll, I'll pass on saying the name, okay? We got his name and so we got a call set up because one of the board of trustees sets the call up. Sure. So we get the call, we get set up and I'm talking to this doctor and I said, I said, um, you know, I said, look, you know, the, the FDA has cleared um, hyperbaric oxygen for thermal burns. And I understand it, you know, it will reduce, potentially reduce scarring, help the healing, promote, you know, a much better outcome, no matter what, you know, what procedures you're following for thermal burns with these, these poor kids. And I'm just thinking, oh, I couldn't imagine being a kid and having, you know, massive burns on my body from a house fire or something and thinking, let's, let's help the kids. We need to, we need to get to these children. So he said, oh, I'm very, very excited, very interested. And so, so actually I went out and we bought um, copies of, of the um, UHMS's application or approval and all their the research that they compiled to get these approvals with the FDA or the approvals. I don't know if the FDA actually approves. They clear it. For they, marketing. They, yeah. yeah, so they clear it. And so, so I, I grabbed a copy of that um, before this meeting and uh, it's um, Dr. Cienci. Sianci. Sianci. Okay, Dr. Sianci. He's he's the lead in this, and it's a it's a 20-page document. Very interesting, and it, of course, it covers all of that and a lot of the, the scientific basis for it. And uh, and so I I told this doctor in Galveston. I said I'll send you a copy, and he said great, great. And I said well, once you get the copy, you get a chance to look at it. Give you a couple weeks. We'll set up a call, and I'll reach out to Dr. Sianci and see if I can get him on the call. Oh, that would be wonderful. Let's do that. Let's do that. So he gets it. He, he, he receives it because he signs for it. It's a FedEx envelope. This is really important. Wanted him to get it the next day. Do you know that he would never take my call after that? He refused to take my call. So I started to dig deeper. And so what did I find out? I found out that he was the head of the plastic surgery unit. And it was all about plastic surgery, and this would have reduced the amount of plastic surgery, you know, skin grafting, all of these procedures that would have been done to these kids, which are painful and terrible, and they're left with scars. And if that doesn't tell you, even an FDA cleared indication of something that's very beneficial because of the benefits to inflammatory um, situation. And so I know that you can give us a lot more insight into that. And so I really would like to hear your opinion on, you know, just thermal burns and, and some of the mechanisms there. Well, it, 
the timing of your questions about this. It was just a couple months ago that I had given a lecture to our burn surgeons, burn department, and uh, I reviewed all of the literature on hyperbaric oxygen in burns. And part of the problem is that the randomized trials that have been done, which every doctor in medicine wants randomized trials, the reality is we don't have randomized trials for 80% of the decisions we have to make in a given day, maybe 90% of them. Uh, and so you have to practice uh, what's called evidence-based medicine. And the definition of that is best medical evidence combined with the doctor's experience and the patient's preference. And evidence-based medicine then does not become the practice of medicine with just randomized trials. So the randomized trials in burns, there's some positive uh, information, there's a, a neutral one, uh, they're mixed. And yet there are many more articles that support it. And there's, uh, the animal literature is overwhelming on burns. And one of the key things is that it is most effective when it's done almost immediately to treat what we talked about earlier, the inflammatory part of the burn injury, the reperfusion injury, it's called. And so if you can get to it early enough, it's dramatic. But even when you're delayed, it's something we had talked about before also, is hyperbaric oxygen reduces swelling in every traumatic uh, and injurious condition uh, in the human body. And there is literature and science to support this in just about every organ system uh, where it's been applied. Uh, and I, I showed you a picture earlier of just the dramatic effects of this, where the hyperbaric oxygen will reduce swelling. Well, if you can reduce swelling in an acute burn, you prevent the progression from second degree, deep second degree, to third degree. Third degree is through all layers of the skin. That's where you have to cut off the skin and skin graft, as you were talking about. Painful plastic surgery procedures that scar. And so uh, hyperbaric oxygen has the real potential, and there's evidence to support it, to be able to reduce the swelling and prevent that deep second to third degree conversion. And with it, the number of debridements, surgeries, and skin graftings. So how would you even do a clinical trial? It's like, okay, got two kids that are burned here. We're not going to treat you. We're going to treat you. Well, we've been doing it for, for you know, eons and not treating. Isn't that enough? We can just compare and say, oh, the outcome is better. You can. Sure you can. So what? Yeah. It's, it's, it's some of well, it. Well, then it gets down to who's going to pay for it. And now you get to Medicare and Medicaid who do not want to pay for it unless they have multiple randomized trials or a multi-center randomized trial proving it. Well, who's paying the million dollars for all the skin grafting? Well, we are. But, yeah. but that gets to actually another point, and this has been a very strong feeling of mine. If we look at the arbitrary nature in which decisions are made by insurance companies on what they reimburse or don't reimburse for, uh, I, I really think that decision needs to be taken out of the hands of doctors and put in the hands of the lay public, informed public, people who, who can determine what they want to spend their money on as a medical therapy, not what's dictated to them by now a medical profession and, and industry that is so conflicted. Well, it's been misled. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I know you're in your book, especially you're, you're kind to them. 
in that because you went through it and you understood you weren't exposed to this and so you know and 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 you know one of the things that i'd mentioned earlier is go into your doctor and ask them what they know about don't ask them if it's good for you because right. they're supposed to know and if, if they don't know it's not good for you because they didn't recommend it and so that's the com the conflict i think that that, that crops up and, and uh, i know you're very kind to the medical profession because they were misled well i I wasn't in the earliest drafts, and <laughs> the publisher and editor said, you need to keep this very upbeat, you know, we want to be happy, happy. And I said, well, yeah, but there's a reality to this. And, and it's the suffering from the lack of application of this is just inestimable. And I'm a little angry about it and the way this has, has gone about. So actually, when they asked me to write the third edition, I said, Two requirements here, two contingencies. Number one, we changed the subheading of the book to, to really say what this therapy is, which is a gene therapy. And number two, you don't edit one word of what I write. Well, they agreed to it. So I put the part in there about medical school, about how I was from the outset, you know, given this very ignorant statement when he really should have said, I don't know much about it, you know. Uh, and that, unfortunately, is done to patients. Uh, it ought to be a criminal act, in my opinion, because what you're doing is denying someone the possibility, based on your ignorance, of mm -hmm. getting better, and it, it's unfair. <laughs> well, you know, one of the, so one of the challenges, I guess, that this brings up is so you have this this um, medical community that, that 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 is taking home a paycheck, and you're threatening their paycheck. Yes. Okay, and so that that's 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 you know not an insurmountable problem but it is a problem a huge yeah. problem yes and so so for me you know in in my experience as an engineer and looking at the engineering world is that there's so much more that we can do for longevity and things of that nature there's there's this potential re-education you know um, expand your 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 knowledge your abilities you know let's 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 look at the spirit of humanity here and let's take that Hippocratic oath seriously, and let's let's bring the best solutions that we can to the to the to the human race. And so, I don't, I'm not sure how we get there. Um, and I'm so glad you you've always been there. By, I mean, by this, this is how we get there. Well, so how do, trying to reach the public. Yeah, so the public maybe is the is the is the group that that insists upon it. I believe. And, yeah, and and then and then what about the medical schools because. Because you weren't taught about this, and you know, I think, you, and you mentioned in the book, you use the term snake oil, and and uh, yeah. and I will tell you, when I first learned about it, I'm I, I'm a skeptic at heart. Um, my wife wouldn't say necessarily say that; she thinks I see the world through rose-colored glasses. But, but I was a skeptic, and I needed to know: was this true? This is too good to be true, and so that's part of it too. And there's stories that that I've come across along the way, and so. So the medical schools, have they been resistant to teaching the truth about hyperbaric oxygen? Uh, yes, but they don't know the truth. That's the problem. My generation of physicians was, uh, well, was taught essentially what I was taught. And the, the, big, the, basis, the basic problem is that the hyperbaric medicine specialty has not been able to explain its therapy. And the definition of it is so confusing that when other physicians look at this, they can't understand, well, how can your therapy work for a, a chronic bone infection, air going through blood vessels in the brain, 
uh, a flap or graft that's not working, a diabetic foot wound, and someone that bled. And that's just four of the 13 things. And you look at those and nobody can connect the dots, but the, con the dots are underneath. They're all the disease processes that are responsible for those diseases and many, many more. Is that not taught in medical school? That is not taught in medical school and it's not taught by the major medical society that oversees hyperbaric medicine. So even hyperbaric physicians don't look at it this way. It is based on this, this completely nonsensical definition and it is rooted in the history of the specialty. This came into the United States and Doctors found it worked for things, and now it's, well, how do we validate it? Well, I validate it just like the FDA did. They went to a group of hyperbaric specialists to ask them, what is this therapy? They defined it by this group of diagnoses that they said, oh, it works for these things. And then they established its reimbursement in the hospital setting to further validate that. So what we've got is a definition based on the diseases it treats, but yet if you cross a country border and go to Russia, it's double the number of diseases. The definition changes further in China with 70 diseases, 39 in Japan, 43 in another country. It's just crazy. Mm. It's and a definition that makes no sense. So in the US, we stopped at 13, we dug, exactly. in. We dug in and said, okay, well, you know, you know it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate. And, and so I, I think that at least um, in this segment, um, that in this conversation that we've had, we understand that, that it's quite a challenge when you're threatening um, the income of, an, of a, the medical industrial complex, quite frankly. Yes. It's, it's not just a doctor. It's, it's a complete complex um, world that we're, we're dealing with. And, and in your book, as you point out, it's, it's patient advocacy. It's, it's you getting out there and insisting that you get this treatment. And like many of the, of the products and prescriptions that are out there, um, it might be considered off-label because it's within the 13 or it's outside the 13, but maybe not in Russia or China or somewhere else. Right. And so, so, so we've at least touched on that. Yes. And I'll add one last little note here. That, that was part and parcel of the problem of hyperbaric oxygen application to neurological conditions, chronic ones. One of my mentors, Dr. Richard Neubauer, when he stood up and said that he was treating some multiple sclerosis patients who had a standard indication, refractory bone infection in their feet, and their multiple sclerosis got better. The underlying resistance was that he was doing this in the clinic not in the hospital setting where they, the medical society had managed to get this reimbursed at a fairly high level. He was doing it for one-eighth the amount. Mm -hmm. And that was now financially threatening to this fledgling specialty and industry. And the other thing it did was it challenged decades of neurological thinking that there's nothing can be done for the brain. Whereas you can treat the heart, the lungs, any other organ, but not the brain. And so now it was going to bring in the whole neurology field against hyperbaric medicine. So the hyperbaric doctors went after him and everything he said about neurological application. And that has set this back many years. Mm -hmm. All because of reimbursement and competition. Yes. Whereas competition yes. should be something that should have taken, you know, this should have flourished. 
exactly. as a result of the competition. And so, but we well, don't have competition in medicine. That's the problem. So one of the things about the industry, and I know you've treated thousands, if not tens of thousands, of patients in your career, um, and and so with those patients, a lot of them, uh, I imagine, ask the question: How does you know is is my insurance going to reimburse me for this? And because it's off-label and it's one eighth of the cost, as you pointed out earlier, um, in that in that scenario, what you know, what is the direction the industry, or can these patients help us take to get there, where insurance companies um, will start to reimburse it? Well, there's no quick fix, but the first step is what I've been really focused on for the last 15 years, and that is trying to conclusively show that this therapy works for at least one chronic neurological diagnosis. And years ago, from 1989 to roughly 1999-2000, we looked at hyperbaric oxygen therapy for any chronic brain-based condition. And by the time we were done looking at, I don't know how many in there, Traumatic brain injury and brain decompression illness were the ones that we had almost uniformly the greatest success with. And so I started to focus on traumatic brain injury. Now, there had already been a lot of evidence that in acute, severe, comatose, traumatic brain injury patients, this is life-saving. 50% reduction in mortality with just a few treatments in the first few days. And this is now published out of Germany, the U.S., China, multiple countries. It's incredible. It is incredible. 50%. But, you know, for chronic brain injury, there is nothing. And so what, what finally happened are a series of studies that have now been done. And they're, they're very controversial because it goes back to this definition of hyperbaric therapy, the control groups that they used in some of them and so on. But the long story short is I summed all of this evidence in what is called a systematic review. And as I told you with the burn situation, you know, the doctors want to see randomized trials. Well, we've got six randomized trials of hyperbaric oxygen therapy in chronic persistent, well, it's called persistent post-concussion syndrome of mild traumatic brain injury. And this article is in a format called a systematic review, which is the type of format that you look at to make decisions on is the evidence really there or not. The conclusion of the article is that this meets the highest level of evidence that's been identified by multiple medical evidentiary grading systems, but the main one in England, Center for Evidence-Based Medicine out of Oxford, England. It is level one, and it is a grade A practice recommendation, which means this therapy should be delivered unless there's a compelling reason not to for that patient. So insurance companies should pay for it. Exactly, because mm -hmm. what happens is if you submit your claim for your diagnosis that you've been treated for hyperbaric oxygen therapy, the insurance company is looking, in the, is it on their list of the 13, or some of them have a few other things that they'll reimburse for. If it's not on it, forget it, it's rejected. Now you have to go to appeal. If you go to appeal, you can win the appeal, but you have to have some randomized trials behind you. And I've had some of my patients do this, and there's a book called The Insurance Warrior on how to do this. But that's another story. The systematic review now can be taken and on appeal show 
that here are randomized trials, the evidence that is required, that, that doctors want to see insurance companies, et cetera, showing effectiveness of this therapy. And they should be able to, it's still gonna be a fight until it's completely adopted, but right now, the Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy Committee of the medical society that makes that list that was given to the FDA is considering uh, mild traumatic brain injury persistent post-concussion syndrome as a new indication. Mm. And so if they follow the evidence, <laughs> there's really no other conclusion, they should put that on that list. It's gonna, that'll be the first one, and that will make it easier for other neurological diagnoses to follow. What, what about the, the, you know, the, it's maybe a, a stretch or a project, but we have all these international indications, right? Yes. What if we prepared a product that you as a patient are getting treated for any one of these hundred indications, right? And, and, and they submit to their insurance company and they say, you know, here is the evidence because we've prepared it for them. That because, you know, the average person is not going to be, have the ability to do that. And so we give them a document for each indication. That's a lot of work, but, but is that something that might, might be helpful for the, the average patient, you think? That is actually something that we have talked about doing for years, but I, I don't have the infrastructure and it's access to the big carriers because you have to be able to reach them and put this in front of them. Uh, but what if we give it to each evidence. patient? If you've gone out and you've got 10 treatments and you're, uh, it helped you in this thing, and then we say, okay, this is, here it is. Download it here. Attach this to your claim. Uh, that's a, a strategy that could work. Uh, you know, there's another strategy too, and we can announce it here on this network, but you know, we thought of setting up a registry where patients anywhere could, could submit their information and what insurance company reimbursed them for hyperbaric therapy for whatever they got. If you have precedence with a company, they have to follow suit. Oh, that's great. And so, so that in combination. With, um, with evidence, but I also tell people, wherever you're doing your treatment, you know, make sure you're documenting what you're doing in terms of outcomes. So if you go and get hyperbaric, like almost all of my patients, at least the ones that we have something that is physically documentary, uh, I video them. I've got thousands of videos before and after. Look at the little near drowning article with Eden Carlson, how powerful those videos are. They are just undeniable. Hmm. Anybody can object all they want, but they cannot argue with those videos. They're, they're, it's real life and it's a real situation. But what, if you can document what has happened to you, and the way you do this is with, there can be simple questionnaires, outcome instruments, or I, I tell people, get evaluated by your pediatrician, occupational type, whoever they are before, and then do that afterwards. They're independent. They don't have anything, any skin in the game with the hyperbaric oxygen. And so when you can show that independent evaluators are documenting improvement in a condition that is chronic especially and has been unchanging for some period of time, it's prima facie evidence that that therapy helped. Yeah, well, it seems like a road that we need to go down. And, and, we do. And, and the sooner the better. I know there's a sense of urgency in your book and, and uh, I share that with you. And so thank you again. And, 
and really appreciate you participating in this conversation. Thank you, Dr. Arch.